0: Welcome to the mom and dot, dot, dot podcast. We're your hosts,
1: Suzanne Kearns
2: and Missy Stevens. We want to help you through everything that happens in the ellipses, from your professional life to your emotional health.
1: You're a
0: mom and so much more. Let's figure out what comes next together. Welcome to the mom and dot, dot, dot podcast. In honor of the spirit of giving thanks and showing gratitude this holiday, Missy and I have decided to do a special re-release of episode 10, our interview with Nancy Davis Coe about her book, The Thank You Project. We're both huge fans of Nancy's, and over the course of interviewing dozens of career and life coaches after this episode originally aired, and hearing the repeated message of the importance of a gratitude practice, we decided we needed to make sure that everybody heard this one unrelated to gratitude, but related to another important coaching recommendation, setting boundaries. It's another reason we're airing a replay so that Missy and I can spend our week off enjoying our time with our families. We hope you're remembering to enforce your boundaries during this busy time of year too. Hope you're having a safe and fun and gratitude-filled week and enjoy the episode. Thanks so much.
2: Today, we are welcoming Nancy Davis Coe, who is a speaker, author, and podcaster, whose work has appeared in the Washington Post, San Francisco Chronicle, and NPR affiliate KQED. Nancy's book, The Thank You Project, Cultivating Happiness, One Letter of Gratitude at a Time, was published by Running Press in December 2019. Nancy covers the years between being hip and breaking one at midlifemixtape.com and on the Midlife Mixtape podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. We're going to put all of that in our show notes later, so you guys can look it up.
1: Yes, and I would tell people to start immediately with the episode that released today. Yeah. The, the happy, or not the happiness, the play. I want to play profession. That is amazing.
3: He was, well, I'll let, I mean, I don't want to start nope, go. taking over the podcast now, but I loved that interview because- how did I end up talking with a play specialist about death? It was such an interesting, meandering conversation that completely made sense in context. And I really appreciated how much, because honestly, a play expert, you're like, really? I mean, right. how's the, what's your life like? And then he's, <laughs> I mean, I knew him, so I mean, he's very sincere about what he does. And he does it because he thinks we... He really recognizes that, you know, there's so much sadness. There's so much grief. We deserve to have that joy and fun as well. And so I really love that conversation. I'm glad you guys liked that. He's hilarious. He is not a low energy person. Like <laughs> you cannot be a plate professional when he, he mentions at one point, you know, I like to, I calm down by having dance parties at home in costume. I was like, yep, yep. I see that for you. I oh get that you goodness. probably have a,
2: yeah, we have dance parties, but no costumes.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I can do costumes or I can do dance party. I can't do them at the same time. But no, that was a really, that was a really fun episode. They're all great. And you started what, three years ago,
3: four, four years, years ago, ago. almost. Wow. Yeah. 2017. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. it was actually after my dad died in 2016, the end of 2016. And I was obviously kind of just knocked backwards for a while. And I've always liked technology. I've I worked from a very early age in software by tech. And I like learning new technology. And at some point after Dad died, I thought I've got to do something. I've got to have something to learn. That's like that's how I'm going to get myself out of this mm-hmm. funk that I can't get out of. So I signed up for a podcasting boot camp at uh, UC Berkeley, and it was this terrifying two day bur- boot camp where they were like, "Here is a microphone. By tomorrow afternoon, you're going to have an episode online and available to people." And it really. Oh was that intense? But I came away from that and I thought, okay, now I at least I know what I don't know. And yeah. so about it, still took me. It took me a good six months after that to actually launch Midlife Mixtape. But and because, and I'm sure you guys struggle with this too. I'd be curious you did. I kept re-recording episode one like 900 times. I just kept going. <laughs> you know, it's not right. I don't know what I'm doing. And I was so convinced it had to be perfect. And finally, Ann Imig, our friend, Ann Imig said, Nope, you can record it one more time. And then you just have to hit publish. You're not allowed to do it again. Yes. So I can't, I've never gone back and listened to episode one. I never will, because I'm sure I, it would drive me crazy, you know, but I couldn't, you can't improve if you don't get started. And so that was, I was really grateful to Ann for just kind of cut me off. And you know, it did, it's, I love it. I absolutely, four years in, I just, Love having the conversations. I feel so lucky to have access to people. I'm always, Mm -hmm. when someone says they'll come on the show, I'm like, Will, that's crazy. It's really cool. So I love it. I don't know when it'll ever stop because there's just, I I talk to people about what they like about being in the middle years and everybody has a different take on it and an an interesting take. And I, I don't try to sugarcoat anything. So there are some hard parts of it, obviously, of being in midlife. I've already mentioned losing my dad and A lot of us, you know, face real challenges at this phase of our lives, but there's always something redeeming about it. And that's what I love getting to, you know, people who realize that they wanted to, this is the time. If they're going to change their career, they have to do it now, or they have always been interested in this other thing and now they're going to give it a go. And yeah, so I love it. I'm so glad you guys are podcasting.
1: Yes. And we have you to thank for that inspiration.
2: Yeah, and we wouldn't be doing it if Suzanne hadn't said we're just doing it. Yeah because I would still be re-recording episode one for sure. And Suzanne- oh yeah, you
1: had asked us about that episode one. We really just kind of played around. We did one thing where we just kind of talked for an hour just to get used to talking. And right. then we started with like a three-minute episode, and then we did like a five-minute episode, and then we just did it. And I don't think we re-recorded anything.
2: No, and maybe we should have, but <laughs> we didn't <laughs> You
1: had mentioned that you were in technology before and that kind of helped you out kind of what, what has been your meandering path into midlife and how all those things play off each other.
3: I started off from a really young age, growing up in Rochester, New York. I really wanted to work internationally. I was very, I was good at languages. I loved the idea of travel because I didn't do a lot of it. And I just imagined it would be fabulous to live in Europe. So I uh, I went to college for international business. I studied abroad in Vienna. I went Light German was my language and it was pretty full and by that point. And then I got a job out of college in Munich and came back to the US and got a graduate degree in international in international business. So I spent the first 15 years of my career doing international business. I had my first daughter at you know, in my early thirties, had another, two girls and I was not wanting to travel at all and more once the girls came along. And I realized that the travel and the international part of it was so much where I got my joy out of that job. You know, like if I couldn't do that, it was not necessarily everything I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I've also was coming up to my 40th birthday and just feeling like I don't do anything creative. I don't do, you know, I mm-hmm. work in a corporate job. I really pour myself into my kids, but I don't have anything left for me that's creative. And so I started writing. I'd always liked it and thought I might have a little talent for it. So I started in my, I right up the road, my 40th birthday, I started taking classes here in the Bay Area. And that was the thing that I turned out that I love to do. So Mm -hmm. I have ever since then, I'm 54, so over the past 14 years, I've Done both. I've I've balanced, so I still work in corporate in the corporate world, and I have a great job now with a small company where we help publishers get their digital content out into the world, and I do business development for them and account management. And I really love that. And That pays the college tuition.
1: Yes. And then
3: when I'm not doing that's part time, and then when I'm not doing that, I am uh, writing and podcasting. So I try to. I think having both sides of it works really well for me because I can bring a business sensibility to the way I manage my writing career. And I think being really happy and having this creative outlet makes me overall a happier person to have as your employee too. So
2: yeah, exactly. I think a lot about that creative piece that I think, I think people are afraid to tap into it and they're afraid that they don't, they don't know what to do or that it will actually take away from their work. And I, so I love what you have to say about it is it, is it Benefit to your work?
3: Well, it's- believe me, when I was maybe 42, I'd been doing it for a few years and I thought, oh, I'm getting all these bylines and getting all this stuff published. I'm just going to be a writer. I'm going to quit the corporate stuff. And I t- I'm going to share this story for people who are hesitant or are thinking to do that. I'm going to tell you what, that was a disaster. <laughs>
2: Oh, because no. <laughs> we
3: don't make very much money as a writer, and I live yes. in a very expensive part of the world, and it's expensive to have a family, mm-hmm. and it was really a hard segment of my marriage because my husband works in banking, and you know we it was a, just a lot. There was a lot of friction about the fact that I was off doing this, like Yay, I'm going to do my fun thing, and you go into the coal mines every day, and you know, mm-hmm. take and, and take care of us. And I also had not realized until that point how much of my self-worth is tied up in a paycheck. I do like being paid what I think my value is. Mm-hmm. And so it was a rough go, but I'm still standing. And after, you know, a year or two of that, I was like, you know what? I think I do like corporate work. I never disliked it. I just, you know, didn't want to just do that. Mm-hmm. So for me, I, for me, it was, much better. Like I could enjoy the writing so much more knowing that I had an income source coming from my day job. I could relax into the writing because I wasn't worried about bills all the time. Yeah. And yes. so I'm just sharing that because I think people, a lot of times when you hear reinvention stories, it's like she did A and she did B and everything was fine. And I want you to know that it might not be fine all the way through and you might just have to adjust things and there might be hard times. And if it's not working, you can still change it again. So I feel lucky to have this balance now, but it took me a little while to get here to figure out what was, what was the right balance.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it took me a long time. I mean, I've been, gosh, my daughter's going to be 16 soon. And I finally was to the point where, you know, I was like, okay, the kids are old enough to, you know, let themselves in after school, they can do this. I'm ready to, you know, we can retire sooner if I go back to work for a while. And so I I was getting really excited about this. And the last thing I did before Austin went on lockdown is I met with a woman about doing some business consulting with her organization. And then a week later, Austin was locked down and it was just this whole new life of like, okay, now isn't the time to try to be, you know. Jumping back into the workforce after 15 years. And I'm in a very fortunate place of luxury where that's even an option to be able to make that choice and be able to say, right. this isn't the perfect time, but I am kind of looking forward to that. And hopefully, you know, the podcast plays a part in the opening up some avenues or some opportunities. And Missy, you've been working how, like what part-time 50, 50?
2: <sighs> no, not even 50, 50. And it has come and gone over. So my oldest is almost 15 and but I I'm was blessed full-
3: you see this, this is they're at a stage. <laughs> <laughs> I, know.
2: All right. I know I, teens and tweens and Fort teen boys. year olds smell and <laughs> so, yeah, they're precious though. <laughs> uh- <laughs> <laughs> so um, Yeah. And I have worked, I had my own business when he was born and then we moved and I kind of, I just slowly trickled those clients out and stopped. And then I've worked contract here and there. Mm -hmm. So nothing close to full time since and would love to go back to work, but I don't know what it is exactly I want to do I think there's some trial and error in my future and which is why we're doing this podcast we're helping
1: ourselves and we're helping others figure out kind of what we want to be when we grow up,
2: you kind of forget what you're good at, and what fills your soul sometimes.
3: And you forget that you can change things. I think that's one of my favorite things about the podcast is when I talk to people who have really full careers, full jobs, something that they do, and then they have another one. So my March 16th episode, I'm interviewing a rock star who then became a mailman. And he's still like, he has a new album out. I'm not giving away any details because I want. Because oh it's my a gosh. Fabulous is- interview, but he literally got a job at the postal service during the pandemic. And he loves it. He's like, Oh, I do 30,000 steps a day. I'm in really good shape for dancing on stage. You know, you can try different things. You you're not too old to try something new and something cool and something that is interesting to you. He was just a big fan of the postal service. He used to mail a lot of albums out and he said he was in there one day and he was like, Hey, give me an application. (laughs) I got the job. And Both my
1: grandpas were mailmen. So Is that right? Uh, I salute. I that sounded salute like the, the greatest
3: job. Yes.
1: And yeah, Both uh, getting outside, walking around. Yeah, I feel sorry for our mailman cuz our dog treats him like a terrorist <laughs> every time <laughs> he comes near our house. So it's not it's not all just getting your steps in, but that's True. that's cool and I love that. And so actually that was one of our questions. I mean, you've interviewed gosh, you're up in the 90 episodes. You yeah, do it like uh, every two weeks, 90, right?
3: episode 92 today, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you've interviewed some inspiring, amazing people. What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned? I think the the one that you just shared about
3: it's never too late to change or Mm -hmm. you can't change too often either. I think one of the themes that has, that has always really meant a lot to me coming through the episodes is uh, the importance of sharing your story when you think it's your own story, but it can really be inspiring for other people. And you know, what two of the people I'm thinking about are Aisha Ash, who does a project called Swan Dream. She's a black uh, ballerina Mm -hmm. and she is really about representation. She makes sure that little children who are black, who might have been told that you don't have the right look for ballet, you know, classical ballet. Mm -hmm. And, and we all know that representation in the arts is is really hard for people of color sometimes and she's a very accomplished dancer and she has taken upon herself to share images of her dancing in places where you don't normally see a black ballerina you know she's actually from the same city where I grew up she's from Rochester so I love her school and dreams project I was really honored to amplify the story that she had to share and it's that kind of representation and inspiration that i think you can do at midlife the other one um outdoor afro founder rue map was on my show and she's amazing and she's all about representation of black people on the trails you know Mm -hmm. and getting people out there and one of the things she said that really stuck with me was about taking school kids to a beach to have them clean up you know on an earth day and she said have those kids ever played on that beach? Like if you want to build a, a community that is supportive of of conservation and of the outdoors, make sure they engage in it in a positive way. And yeah, she cool. has created this organization that really tries to get people color out on the trails, out camping, doing all this stuff. And of course there are millions of black and brown people doing that now and she's just Making it easier for them to connect with one another in a way that feels really inviting and safe. So I love those kinds of stories where it's just about this is a thing that matters a lot to me. I'm going to talk about it, and by doing that, either I pull you into to this story with me, or I encourage you to tell your own or to find your own things. So I do think that one of the opportunities and maybe obligations that we have at midlife is to figure out what that thing is, share that story share that um, inspiration with others, because it just creates a ripple effect.
1: Yes. And I love that you are using your platform to amplify people who are making a difference and also your own advocacy work so i thank you for inspiring us with the podcast but i gotta say there was a discussion at one of the mom two conferences the very first time i don't even know if we officially met i think i was just sitting in your general vicinity were we wearing matching
3: the... clothes because that's happened No, that, was, was, the one that. was the, the same one before shirt. we
1: had the matching shirts yeah that was cute we'll have to post a picture of that in the show notes um no that it was one of that before that. You probably didn't even know I was there. I was just kind of eavesdropping behind you and just talking about, you know, all the things that you're involved in this city and advocacy work and helping people. And I was like, I think that all those things are really important to me, but I'm not doing any of them. And it really kind of started my progression, especially after the 2016 election, just being like, I need to start putting my feet where my Mouth is Because I, I would talk a big talk as far as like, oh, I believe in these things. I'll share this Facebook post, but I wasn't really committing myself to it. Mm-hmm. And that I think is a lot where the Informed Parents of Austin group that I run came out of just being like, what is that cause? You know, in midlife, what's that one thing that you're going to put your flag in and say, okay, I'm going to rally behind this and use, use my privilege, use my whatever the platform may be and in that case I mean you don't have to have a Facebook platform it's if you're giving voice to uh, I'm giving voice to LGBTQ students and I'm not LGBTQ my kids are not but that gives me an audience that maybe a trans parent or a trans student doesn't have because I'm having wine nights with a bunch of white suburban moms who you know have never met an LGBTQ kid and so that that's a platform but they knew of Yeah, exactly. They probably have one living under their roof that they just don't know about. But anyway, so I just, as we kind of talk about that, I mean, you have a big platform with a podcast. We've got this podcast, but a platform doesn't have to be something that you broadcast or that you post online. It can just be the conversations that you have at a dinner party or that you have with a group of people that aren't necessarily exposed to, you know, a swan dreams type of story. So everybody has a platform.
3: Right. And I, I think you just perfectly illustrated this idea of other people being out there and doing it because I'm really um, gratified to hear that anything I've done has inspired you. I mean, you're hugely, you know, I've followed your own work as an activist and, you know, I see you out there doing it, but I didn't invent it. I saw other people using their voice and people of color and people in the LGBTQ community And all I did is say, well, I'm soaking in white privilege. What can Mm -hmm. I do to, you know, try to play my part in anti-racism and and whatever else? So I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just saying, I am trying to learn. I am trying to amplify the diverse voices that I have the luxury of, uh, you know, the the thing is we, the three of us have the luxury to opt in and out of these conversations just by the nature of the way we look and for people who don't have that luxury you know what what can i do to just try to make try to help try to help yeah and i think something you
2: said that i hope i hope everyone takes away from this is you can amplify something you can be an activist for it without that being your job i think a lot of times it, maybe it's generational the generation before us i feel like you had a job and that was your job and that was what you did and the idea of hopping around and doing different things didn't really occur. And now I, for years, I would watch people doing amazing things. And in my mind, that's, that's what they did. And it wasn't until I started looking into it more and realizing they have a day job or they have several other causes. It's, you're not limited to what you can be involved in and what you care about and what you can make a difference in. And midlife is a great time to start branching into all of that.
3: It's such a good point, Missy. One of my favorite organizations is called Surge, Stand Up for Racial Justice, so S-U-R-J. And what I love about them, they have really good programming, you know, anti-racism lectures and just all kinds of really good programs that you can learn more about these issues so you can feel informed. But what I love is they have action hours. So if you've got an hour during the week, you can log on. It's a Zoom call. And they're like, okay, everybody. Now we're all going to write to our senators and tell them that incarceration of juveniles in California court just, or whatever the issue is. And they give you a link and everybody, (laughs) and then they're like, okay, come back. Now for the next 20 minutes, we're going to call our senators and tell them that ICE reform, whatever the issue is. And they have it so organized and so lined up. And what I love, of course, is I'm looking at the faces of all these people making calls and it is it is designed to encourage white people to stand up for racial justice but it's a it's a multicultural group and all ages people call it in from all over and i think for me in my whatever i don't know if i I can't characterize myself as an activist i don't think i do enough but in the work that i try to do in that regard one of the things that i get out of it is that reminder when i do you know it's really hard to look at Twitter or read the paper and not think about the divisions and think about how everything's so awful. But then I get on a call like that. I'm like, there's people from all over the place who feel the same way that I do. There's people from all over the place who, you know, think that indigenous rights are important or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So I feel really buoyed every time I do one of their action orders. I feel like after an hour, I'm like, okay, I've done my little bit for this week. And I always learn about stuff I had no idea about too. So...
2: And it always feels good to not be alone. Well, and yeah, we'll
1: definitely link to all the groups that you've mentioned, but I think that's really wonderful for people to have access to these groups where things are just ready to be done. Cause a lot of people Mm -hmm. just don't know what they don't know. They don't know how to start. They just need someone to tell them exactly what to do and when to do it and they'll they'll be there.
3: Yeah, I think people wanna be helpful but they need to be told how. Right, and that's what this group has really figured out.
2: And that's part of what I think we all need to learn too is that our job is to listen. I I always think about like the, the example of these groups going into communities and being like, we're going to make matching t-shirts and we are going to build you whatever it is with this house, but that's whatever we've decided
3: you need. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever
2: we've decided would make you look more like us. You need that thing. Instead of saying what in your community could be a sustainable thing that it helps you in the long term, And what do you really need? And do you even want us to do it? Like right. you, maybe you don't want a group of people in matching t-shirts to do it. Right. And with racial issues, I think we need to learn to listen to people who are living an experience that we have not lived. We can't go in and help them and say, well, oh, I think you need this. It's, it's great to have an organization saying we, we know what's needed and here's how you can do it. Right.
1: Now, speaking of one hour, we've already taken half of your oh, time and we have not gotten to the thank you project yet. Can, okay. So for people who are watching this on YouTube, just look how gorgeous this is.
3: It is a gorgeous who book. Who
1: designed this book for you?
3: Amanda Richardson from Running Press. And I cried when I got that book because I had seen the cover. I knew, I knew pretty much what the cover was going to yeah. look like, but which is so, you know, it's all about gratitude letters. So the idea of the envelope with the bouquet coming out, I loved that. Mm-hmm. But when I opened the end papers and saw how gorgeous they are,
1: yes,
3: they're you just look. great. And then the, um, oh. there I, am. I almost yeah. put on that sweater and then I remembered you might, I, you know, <laughs> I do have more than one sweater. <laughs> and then the cassette tape drawings that are in the book too. Amanda did those yes. and I just felt super lucky. Running Press did such an amazing job because it's really a pretty book. Yeah. So. Is. Oh, here we go. helps. It's got shelf appeal. Yes. There's my mixtapes. I have one at the end of every chapter because that's just how my brain is wired as you can, as you can (laughs) tell. I I love that.
1: I love this. Just the whole concept of thank you letters. I think it is something that generationally, I mean, I remember my mom forcing me to sit down and like, write thank you letters. And I Mm -hmm. think that a lot of us have negative connotations of like this forced, like kind of formal, you only do it if someone gives you something that you can hold in your hand type of thing or for a special occasion, but this idea of showing gratitude and cultivating this happiness for so many intangible things, mm-hmm. letters to people who you never end up actually sending them to, or you're not even able to send them to if they've passed. And so tell, tell us a little bit more about what inspired this and and how it's impacted you and your life and readers?
3: Well, first of all, let me tell you, I feel the same way about thank you notes. I I had to write them growing up. I never had this warm, fuzzy feeling about them. And my family celebrates Christmas. My youngest daughter's birthday is Christmas day. And she always gets her thank you notes done faster than her mother, because I'm still like, I'm not gonna write this whole list. (laughs) But what I talk about in the book is gratitude letters. And the way I define the difference is that, you know, the thank you note is kind of that performative Thanks for the shirt. I love it. See you soon. But a gratitude letter is different because it it's a lot deeper and more personal. And the funny thing is, though, you know that even that you're though you're sending it to another person, it's really about you. So I found out about the power of gratitude letters the year I was turning fifty, so 2016. I decided I was going to write 50 letters that year to someone who had helped, shaped, or inspired me. That was the only rubric I had. I was not allowed to expect a reaction because nobody asked me to write a thank you letter Mm -hmm. so i was like i have to let go of the outcome i'm just about sending these letters and i wanted them to be one page long that was the only thing really that i knew and come to find out i changed the way that i look at the world around me that year because every week i said i wrote my letters on friday and every week i would sit down having spent a full week thinking about what would go in the letter. So I would pick someone like my friend, Maria, who I met my first day of college and all week long, I would think, well, what am I going to put in the letter with to Maria? Well, how did she, she me. And I would think about those things. How did she shape me? How did she inspire me? And by the time I sat down to write, I just had so much positive association percolating around in my head. And I will, I would have had the chance to think about these great memories and feel so lucky to know her. And in writing the book, which is a blueprint for readers for how to do this themselves, it's not a collection of my letters because you guys don't know Maria. I, you don't care what I wrote to Maria, but um, I'm interested. I kind of learned. <laughs> no, she sounds great. <laughs> she's, she's awesome. I I told the publisher, I really wanted to get into the science of gratitude because every time I wrote one of these letters, I could feel my shoulders drop. I could feel my jaw unclinched. Sometimes I'd even get the sensation of warmth in my chest. And I wanted to understand what that was all about. So Mm -hmm. in looking at the science that I present in the book, there's so much research now on how gratitude and happiness correlate. And basically it it starts with this idea of positive recall bias. So we're all born with negative and positive recall bias and negative recall bias is important. It's what reminds us to... Put our masks on when we leave the house. It, you know, tells us not to shake hands with the guy who just licked his hand. It's it's the thing that you know triggers your fight or flight. It it, it yeah. conditions you to look for scary bad things around you, and we all need that. But the problem is if that that's the only thing you're doing. If you wake up every day just saying what's going to get me today, mm-hmm. and what researchers found is that the way to counteract that most effectively is not to ignore it, not to pretend it's not there but just to cultivate your positive recall bias, which is, as you would guess, the tendency to notice positive things around you. So dumb Nancy, I didn't realize this is what I was doing, but sure enough, every week I'd be like, let me think of good things that Maria did for me. Let me think of good things that my AP English teacher did for me. And you literally rewire your brain in that kind of thinking. You make it more efficient for your brain to go to the positive things around you Rather than the negative things around you. So you mentioned the fact that some of the letters I wrote but didn't send, I'd gotten through about you know half my, I, I guess probably about twenty five letters, and it was clear to me that all those good, positive, warm feelings I was getting came when I wrote the letter, it wasn't in the response, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I did get really nice responses, and I'm happy to talk about that, but it was it was like I'd I'd sign the letter and I'd be like. I know this great person. I'm so connected. I'm not alone in the world. This is somebody else who's on my team before they ever read it. So then I thought, oh, so I could write letters to people who have helped, shaped, and inspired me, but not send it because I'll still get the benefit. So then, that was when I wrote to some ex-boyfriends because yeah. even if there are people who were to kill a contact with now, they may have taught us something really important. Yeah. And I wrote to a really terrible boss of mine who I didn't want to ever be in touch with again, but who had made me a much better manager because he was horrible. Yeah. And I just wanted, <laughs> like, what would he do? I'll do the opposite. And then I was like, wait, it, now it doesn't even need to be people because now my positive recall bias was really firing. So I thought, what else have I been shaped by? Definitely the places I've lived. I'm from upstate New York. I'm really proud of that. I love meeting people from Rochester and its environs. So I wrote a letter to Rochester. I've lived in Oakland uh, for 20, 23 years. So I wrote a letter to the city of Oakland and then I was writing to hobbies. And so it just got <laughs> to be really fun to think about all of these things that make up the person I am, all of these influences that make me unique. And then the last letter that I recommend writing the book is to yourself, because however many letters you write, you certainly don't need to write 50, but whatever you decide to do, you get this perspective in doing it, that you've done a pretty good job. First of all, you've done a good job assembling people around you because you've just taken the time to identify all those people. And the second thing that I think is particularly important to think about now is writing the letters reminds you that you have had hard times in the past you have overcome we have had really things happen to you in the past maybe not as bad as the pandemic but you definitely had bad things happen Mm -hmm. and there have been people who helped you at those junctures so as you're going through the pandemic now it's a reminder that you've gotten over stuff like this in the past and that you're not alone so this book came out December 2019 and I did not mean to write a book that would be so I think useful during a global pandemic but that's where we are because I do think it is a helpful way to regain some perspective during a dark time yeah
2: definitely yeah.
3: I'm so moved by that
2: concept and I'm I'm always fascinated with the idea of rewiring your brain and I didn't really, and I still don't fully understand that. I'm not a neuroscientist and it's amazing that it's like pathways in our head and we take the easiest one. Mm -hmm. And so if it's easiest for you to think what's going to eat me today or who's going to sneeze on me and give me COVID today, that's where you go and you, you have to practice and it's hard work, but you can change. And that's a generational benefit. If I change that now, I'm helping change that for my kids and their kids and, that's fascinating to me. And the idea that you can do it in this, like, well, as a writer, I love the idea of the writing, but you can do it in a way that you see that benefit. Like you saw it within how many letters do you think?
3: I mean, it was apparent. I mean, I'm surely by the second letter, I wrote my mom first and my dad. And by the second letter, I was like, what is this weird thing that keeps happening to me? I've only Uh written two letters, but I can tell this is going to be a good thing." You know to I my, I did my day on Friday afternoons and I really looked forward to Friday afternoon. That was that was kind of how I made my demarcation between the work week and the weekend. And I really looked forward to it from a, from very early on. Yeah.
1: It's such an important point that it's not necessarily about the recipient. It's about doing it for yourself. But I do think we can't lose sight of the fact that I'm sure that those letters were probably, could have been a very big highlight of someone's.
3: Can I show my show and tell since we're on video? Right here. Yes. Um, when my dad got his letter, he framed it and hung it over his desk. Oh. And it was, I mean, my dad was like that end of the scale. I had other people who were like, hey, thanks for the letter. But this was cute, you know, and I talk about in the opening scene of the book. So I sent that to him January, 2016. My dad was 81. And six months later I'm sitting at his desk under that letter writing his eulogy because he died very suddenly he um, he was given a cancer diagnosis and was gone six weeks later and wow. we had no idea that was coming no. and it meant so much to me that my dad had this letter for six months to sit and reread and to let him absorb it because you don't know you don't know when the people you love are are got to go. And so it was really helpful to me as we went through his final weeks to know that I didn't have to explain any of that to him. He knew exactly how I felt about him. So, you know, there's a real sense of completion, I think, that can come with some of these letters, you know. But I was going to say about the teaching, Miss, you brought up such a good point about teaching the next generation some of my favorite audiences to talk to, about this book with our school kids. And I've done this now. I've done a, quite a few Zoom presentations with middle schoolers and yeah. her, I guess mostly middle schoolers at high school group too, but they get it. And it's especially now a really good exercise for parents to consider with their kids, you know, and whether you do it from the standpoint of, you know, just trying to give them mm-hmm some perspective during a difficult time or reminding them that, you know, even though they may be studying remotely and they're separated from their friends, it's actually a chance to step back and evaluate what that friendship means to them. So I write about my high school best friend, Lisa, who is now a seventh grade teacher in the Bay area. And she had me talk with her kids and then she shared the letters that the kids wrote as their homework assignment. And we were both crying because it was just... They get it. You know, they know what they're missing out on. And I hope that it's a reminder to young people as they write these letters that this is this is obviously the hardest time of their young lives. I say this as a mom of a 23 and a 20-year-old. This is not anything I ever would have wished for my kids. But mm-hmm. I know that moving through this with a sense of gratitude and a tenacious belief that there are still good things in the midst of a bad time that serves them long-term. I mean, believe me, I wish I could have figured out to write these letters on my 30th birthday, not my 50th. I think I would have had a better span of 20 years there. So anything we can do to help our kids. And if writing letters feels like another homework assignment that they don't need, there's lots of ways to get their kid, you know, keep a gratitude journal. I. I use this one all the time just stop and think of three good things you have right now you know Mm -hmm. the roof over your head I get to look at Missy and Suzanne during the middle of my work day which is awesome and I totally forgot I had this shirt until today when I was like (laughs) ah I gotta so those those are three good things and I just like I just reminded my brain that that's the right way to go so it can be as simple as just you know, before you f- fall asleep at night, think of your three good things and you're already doing some of the heavy lifting that that rewires your perceptions to see the positive things around you.
2: Have you come across people who are gratitude resistant and helped them find their way to living like that? I'm thinking of a particular child in my household. And is it the 14 year old? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Who might be like, I, I mean, I know he wouldn't write a letter And I know he's not ungrateful, but the idea of putting it into practice, he might throw up some stop signs.
3: Well, I would say that to me, the research is very convincing. And I I mean, I'm always, I'm a kind of a skeptical person. I chalk it up to my New York, my New York heritage. Mm -hmm. I need to read things. I need to understand how things work. One of the things I always say, though, is just try it. Just write a letter. Just try and see how it makes you feel throughout the book i say this is how i did it i interviewed a few other people who had done similar kinds of projects just to give a range of yeah. frameworks for readers to to choose from but you're in charge of your own project in fact there's research that suggests that if you write one thank you letter to someone it, deliver it by hand your happiness levels are measurably higher for a full months so I didn't really need to do it every week. I could have just done one a month for four years and really stretched it out. So I just encourage people to give it a try. I think one of the hesitations that I hear most often is, well, it's easy for you, you're a writer. You you know how to write a good letter. Mm -hmm. And that's hopefully true. I mean, I did write to my AP English teacher for a reason. I think I'm a pretty good writer. But what I always say is your friend chose you they want to hear from you, whoever you are, the authentic voice that is yours. And the other thing is, have you ever gotten a letter that says, You are so important to me. This is something I learned from you. You may not realize it, but you inspired me when I look forward to every time you tell me and and maybe they did the wrong, like they put an apostrophe in the wrong place. And the person be like, screw that. I hate that letter.
2: It's a great letter, but it just lost all. My God, they used the wrong
3: term of there. I'm a, you know, don't be friends with that person. Don't send a letter to that person. So I just really encourage people to be authentic and remember, if you feel uncomfortable, you don't have to send the letter. I do encourage people to send as many letters as they feel comfortable with. One of the studies that I really thought was interesting was that sociologists found that people tend to overestimate how awkward they will feel sending the letter and they underestimate how much the recipient will like getting it. And especially now when we are literally trapped in our homes, not seeing anybody, how much would it mean to open your mailbox and get up? physical piece of paper that says, you are so cool. You are really great. And I miss you. And I can't wait to see you after this is all over. It's like an existential boost that every person on the planet needs right now. So yes. I really encourage folks who are listening and thinking about doing this to put the letter in the mail and give that gift to your friend or your family member or your city. Well, I guess you can't send it to your I did get to read my Oakland letter to the mayor of Oakland. Somebody arranged that. That's so special. I had had to cut out the paragraph where I complained about the potholes. I didn't feel like that was polite.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I think maybe they need to hear that. They probably need to know. (laughs) She lives near me. She lives
3: here. She knows from the potholes. We're driving the same potholes.
1: Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Okay, well, you know, we're going to be doing more and more thank you oriented things in our mom and community on Facebook. We have going to have thank you Thursdays where we'll be reminding people of and probably just replaying little clips of this episode within there every Thursday, yeah. because it is one of those things. I think you'll come away from listening to this being like, yeah, I'm going to go write all the thank you notes. And then you're like, oh, I had to make lunch and then I got to do this. And then I got to do this. And and you kind of forget about it. And I think that having a weekly reminder in that group to to go do it will hopefully increase the chances of people actually taking the lessons yeah. learned. I hope so. And there's so. research, folks. It's not just us saying it. It's Science. Research. It's, science. Science. Don't it's argue not woo science. And wear your mask. But you know what? <laughs> I, just, I just realized, Nancy, we forgot to tell you we do a segment called Look, Listen, Learn. <laughs> so you can think about this for a second <laughs> i'm sure you've looked and listened to it and learned a ton of things well no he- <laughs>
2: okay
1: it can okay, be like he- your favorite
2: song this week or yeah
1: it can just be yeah a favorite song Wait. or artist i mean that's that's your specialty
2: but you okay. don't have to
1: start we'll start we'll have missy okay. start
2: <laughs> okay
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> so is anything
1: that you've been either reading or watching that you've really liked this week or listening to that you've liked this week.
3: Okay, and am I, am I limited to one? Cause now that you're giving me the opportunity. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm gonna give you one of each. Okay, look, oh, my husband is half Chinese and so we have started watching Warrior on HBO, which is a Kung Fu series set oh in God. Chinatown 1878 in San Francisco. And it's fantastic not watching. I mean, the series is really good, but it's really fun watching my husband watch it because he's like, which song <laughs> do you think I'd be in? You know? And he's like doing his kung fu moves. So he is <laughs> like, it's we are we are starting season two tonight because we made him take a week off because he was getting a little over the top. But it is it's really good. It's <laughs> no more kung in the eyes. house. Look, I've never even heard me.
1: of that okay we're yeah, that it's, um, for sure. well we're
3: watching my 23 year old is living with us she's working and living at home and it's both violent and sexy so during the violent scenes I have the blanket over my head and when the sex scenes come on she puts it over <laughs> her so not for the kids but it's good the cast is really great let's look yes listen I'm going to just go nepotism shout out to my cousin's daughter Kate Davis who is an extremely talented uh musician she came up through classical music as a bass player you may have seen her cover of all about that bass where she's playing like the stand-up mm-hmm. the stand-up bass she's amazing okay. but she's oh, now moved into the indie rock world she co she works with Sharon Bonnet and she co-wrote and sewing 17 if you know that one by Sharon and oh my Kate- anyway, gosh. Kate's got a new album out <laughs> called strange days okay and it's fabulous. I've got it spinning on my turntable upstairs. So I would be promoting Kate Davis, Strange Days, even if we weren't related. She's really quite great. (laughs) Okay. And then then learn, So this is an interesting one I'm in. So my church is doing a, like a racial reconciliation conversation series over most of this year. We are a very white church living in a very mixed race city, and we're trying to figure out what role we have played in perpetuating that and how we can change it. And I'm reading a book called Waking Up White by Debbie Irving. I'm hesitating a little bit. I, I'm finding so much in that book that feels familiar to me. She, you know, white parents, relatively well-to-do family. And it's just her journey of waking up to all the ways in which she was privileged. And so I'm recommending it, but I also recognize that there are so many really great black writers who are writing about racism and anti-racism work right now. And to purchase a book by a white writer on that subject can feel really like just perpetuating the whole system. And I've really been trying to listen to that. And so, I mean, there's a million books you should read by Black writers, like Cast by Isabel Wilkerson, Austin oh, I uh, just Channing. That's so good. Oh my God. Wonderful books. Austin Channing Brown's writing on this is great. But at the same time, I feel like the fact that I do relate to the author is why it's hitting me so hard. So mm-hmm. I would just say Waking Up White is a really great book to read, but definitely go buy two or three books by Black writers. Yes. On the same topic, please. If you're going to do that, how'd I do?
2: That was
1: you're out of the Park. That you're way better than mine. In fact, I left one of I left one of my visuals for mine. So, Missy, you go. I'm going to go grab off my nightstand the visual for one of mine while you're talking about yours.
2: One <laughs> sec. <laughs> you're you're killing me. You. I don't have any visuals for mine. Um, do that. I'm s- curious.
3: <laughs> a visual.
2: Yeah. I'm curious if. Suzanne's seen this we haven't got to talk about it but in and of itself have you seen that on Netflix um what I know I'm supposed
3: to watch that I can't so far we've been stuck with warrior I can't watch anything else but I've heard okay. that's great
2: yeah I had heard from multiple people my parents were the first people to tell me about it a couple other people mentioned it within the same week and like this keeps coming up I have to watch it Suzanne, and you're not it's supposed
3: in- to tell anybody anything about it right no. you're just supposed to go in cold In and of itself. In and of
2: itself. It's on not Netflix. It's on Hulu. I think I said Netflix back. It's on Hulu, and the gratitude idea. I I won't spoil it, but it ties. And so that wasn't what I was going to talk about this week. But the whole time you were talking, I kept it kept popping in my head. And so I don't want to spoil it, but I want to say go watch it. You will start it, and you will think, what? What am I watching? I mean, Mark and I sat down and my parents told us nothing about it. They just said, watch it. And I knew it was a stage production that doesn't spoil anything. So I knew that much. So I wasn't surprised that it was a stage production, but I still was like, what is happening here? And by the end, all I wanted was to be in the theater. I think (laughs) it must be the most amazing experience and so there's a little bit of magic and a little bit of gratefulness and a little bit. It's you got to watch. I am it, so, so confused mine. right now. Okay. I oh, it's confusing because I can't tell you anything about it. But I'm telling you, especially if you're interested in the concept of gratitude, just just watch it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's weird and fun, and it ends, and you're like,
3: oh, okay. <laughs> should we watch it together and then we can tweet? What the heck is happening? What should <laughs> you to watch this first You so know confused.
1: what? Missy and I are going to be live tweeting a show this weekend. What's it called? Oh, shoot. Now I can't remember. I it's about Absolutely. the dark side of personality tests because yeah. our first couple months of episodes have been very much about identity and really delving into who are you and, you know, using the Enneagram. And we did Strengths Finder. We had not got to Myers Briggs persona sh- That's persona persona persona. The show is all about Myers Briggs and the dark side of personality tests. And Missy <laughs> and I were like, oh my God. But yeah, it's basically when it's not that it's a dark thing to look into yourself and use it as a personal guide, but it's when employers start to use it.
3: Oh, interesting. To Mm -hmm. make
1: hiring decisions and how that can impact racially, very um, income wise inequities. So it is interesting. So we're going to live tweet that and then maybe get someone to come talk to us about (laughs) Myers-Briggs. But, you know, I was going to talk about, and I'll have to save this for next week. I was going to talk about my learnings about how bad I am uh, at, Bird feeding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I got really enthusiastic about helping birds during the freeze. Like I was drilling holes in a log, putting peanut butter in it because I read that, and I didn't have any bird seed. That that's what birds need. But then I guess birds need to know that there's a feeder there to actually come and look for food. Mm -hmm. So I set up this whole feeding station, and now my kids make fun of me because the birds literally go anywhere. (laughs) but my like multi hundred dollar feeding station. What are you
3: supposed to do? Get a neon sign or something? I I mean, what's the,
2: they'll
1: find it. They splash in the bird baths and then I'm like, look up. And then my husband (laughs) sent me a picture yesterday of a bird sitting on his windsole of his office. Just like looking at him. I'm like, I hate you. I hate you. And now, yeah, I'm the joke of the family now. Have the squirrels found it? No, because that's the whole thing. It's a squirrel-proof pole with a squirrel-proof feeder. That's hard to say. And so I was really proud of myself. I will just share pictures and stuff of this in the group. Ours and is
2: supposed to be squirrel-proof. And literally, I mean, they they don't have anything else to do. This is yeah. their whole job. And they have figured out at times, uh, we went out one morning and they had unscrewed it. It's supposed to be squirrel-proof. They had somehow gotten under the baffle, unscrewed it. It was on the ground, completely empty, no food left. See, now, this I think they s- left it alone but the
1: squirrel may know that this is an impossible setup because the squirrel who lives in our owl house, I'm really great with birds. (laughs) I made made an owl house that a squirrel lives in. So the squirrel came out of the owl house and walked over and went to our gate and was looking right at it. Like awesome thinking about it. And he looked at it for a minute and he kind of like, and I was out there watching him and he walked back to where I was and just started yelling at me and i took
2: a video of it i shared it on instagram he was so like he'll be in it before you know it they they, he's working on it but i do want to share this because
1: this book was due at the library yesterday and there's 40 people waiting for it and i still (laughs) need to read a lot of it so i'm not i'm I'm not gonna have it next week but it is um because i fell in love with emily and amelia nagoski um oh you've got it okay
3: oh my gosh and there are other ones
1: I bought burnout burnout. So I'll have that for a while, but they were on a great Brene Brown episode. And like in the course of the past couple of weeks, like three different people have came and told Missy and I, that we need, we need to get them on the podcast, which they're, they're definitely like our class A list that uh, we'll see if they'll, they'll honor us with their time. But um, this one, I, this might get rid of our G rating As (laughs) dumb as you are. We won't go into detail. There's some symbolism there with that zipper, but it's the surprising new science that will transform your sex life. And I think my husband's had high hopes as I go to bed reading this every night that it was going to be like all this sexy. It is I'm halfway through it. And it is all just about the brain science of like desire or lack of desire. And it, but it's, it's very, very interesting. It is not like a Kama Sutra, you know, type of book. It's more of just like a Hey, when you're going through this level of stress and, you know, your brain thinks that you are being chased by a bear is you're not going to be feeling super romantic. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm going to crash through the rest of that book and then maybe borrow yours years. Cause I feel really guilty when I have a library book that has people waiting for it and then burnout.
2: Yeah. That'll be my, both next of one. these have come Great. up like in multiple circles and different from different friends Again, kind of like in and of itself, like over the course of a week, I heard about each of these several times and I thought, well, that's a sign. They're, and well, they're doing on your sisters. show
3: so I can listen. I know. Yeah. You know what? I want to be there I'm... when you lose your G rating. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> a little warning before that episode.
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay. So yes, that is what I am looking at. And I am the opposite of learning about bird feeding this week. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think that is yeah. We've used up, ooh, we went over your time. I'm
3: sorry. We Thank did. You Thank you. Us... I, why would I hang up on you guys? I'm like, <laughs> no, keep talking. You know what? Missy, and we will, like
1: after we go bye and say our goodbyes, like we'll sit here for like another 40 minutes. We should just air
2: the, <laughs> the 40 minutes we do after shows. That's what we should save for
3: like our patreon, patreon people, i would yeah. you know what i was i'm coming up obviously to my 100th episode i guess because i'm every two weeks so i guess it'll be in may mm-hmm. may or june and, and i was thinking that it would be funny to go through and pull out because i edit my interviews pretty closely yeah. so there's a lot of stuff on the cutting room floor yeah you'll be
1: disappointed in my level of cutting we keep it pretty true to, to how it actually <laughs> happened
3: so i don't think you need to touch this interview you guys it's you guys it's perfect. We're just going to get published. It's just going. There we go. But, well, know, it was great but to
1: see you, Beau. was so it good to see you. so too. good to see you and so appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule yeah. with everything you do. And congratulations. I saw you in the New York. Was it the New York Times this weekend?
3: Yeah. For the yep, thank you project? In the at-home section, they did have a writer did a piece on how to write a gratitude letter and she quoted me and she sat in on a present. I do a lot of virtual presentations. If anybody needs a speaker for your organization, call me and she'd sat in on one of those and used some of what I said in the article. And I hope that it, people will read it. And that's all I want. I just want people to send letters, you know, I mean, yeah. look at how lucky it was sending this letter to my dad and having him read it at the right time. Yeah. May everybody find themselves in a situation not where they're not where yes. the stick so high, but where they've had a chance to express themselves really fully.
1: I think, yeah. yeah, that seals the deal for me. I'm I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And good I have good. been doing it actually. So, But yeah, I really, really appreciate you bringing that to the forefront and reminding us to, to have a little more gratitude and share that gratitude with others. And so yes. where are the best places for people to find you?
3: The best place to go is davisco.com, dot ocom And from there, you can get all the information about the book and you can get to the podcast. The podcast is on Midlife Mixed state podcast is available anywhere, but it's, if if you started davisco.com, you will find it. Perfect.
1: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Great to (laughs) see you guys. Good to see you too. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. Thank you you so much for joining us for the mom and dot, dot, dot podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show today. And if you know someone else who could benefit from today's episode, be sure to share it with them. Also, please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find links to all the things we discussed today in the show notes over at our website, momandpodcast.com,
0: with the A-N-D spelled out. In between shows, you can find us at the socials, including
1: our private mom and community Facebook group. You can find links to the group, all of our socials, and our questions and comments section over at our website, momandpodcast.com. Thank you so much for your support. We appreciate you so much. Now go out there and make your ellipses count.